You know, in Romans, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And when you start looking at the goodness of God and how good God has been, that it leads us, opens that door for us to repent and be right with him. And how could you not look upon the goodness of God and the grace of God and the blessings of God uh, and not want to be close to him and not want to serve him and not want to be right with him? And boy, as they sang, I couldn't help but think about our country this morning. We look at, at, at our wickedness, our unrighteousness, our rebellion, and that's all that it is. It's rebellion against God. You, we look at all that's going on in our country today, and we would like to think that we've become more tolerant and open-minded. But the truth of the matter is we haven't progressed. We have regressed, and we've regressed away from God. And yet we look how God should have destroyed us, wiped us off the planet, and if, if God were you and I, could we just admit it? If, if we had thumbed our nose at ourselves and we were God, and we'd have been zapped already, we'd be out of here. And yet 21 years, 21 years since 9-11, you would think that 9-11 would have been a wake-up call for at least 50 years of repentance toward God. I mean, you would think that after all the heartache, I was a 21-year-old young man, and we were building a house in Collins, Mississippi, and working up on the roof of the garage, my dad, my brother, and I, and got the news that first plane had hit, and, and then the second, the third, and we turned the radio on, and we're listening and realized our country was under attack, and I just wanted to go home, you know, be, with, be around my family, with my family. I thought our country was imploding around us, thinking this is over with. And yet 21 years later, the grace of God has brought us safe thus far. The goodness of God has brought us here. And all oh, that we would focus on the goodness of God and that that would lead us to repentance to turn back toward God. Or I don't think we've seen anything compared to what we're going to see if we don't allow the goodness of God to lead us to repentance. You know? Uh, when I was a kid, I could do what was right because I loved my mom and my dad and because they did good things for me. They provided a roof for me and paid for my dental and my medical and my food and oftentimes a lot of my wants. And boy, I could obey them just because they were good to me or I could obey them because of what was going to happen if I didn't. <laughs> it's much easier to do when you look at the goodness and repent and be right with God. And boy, what a, what a song this morning. We could go on and on, couldn't we, about the goodness of God and how he's blessed us. And the worst thing that's happening to you in your life, in your world right now, is nothing compared to the worst thing you've ever been when you were a lost sinner and Jesus saved you from that. And boy, that alone is goodness enough to repent and turn to God. And yet we're still running from him this morning. Boy, I pray we'll, we'll turn to that. Go home and think about 21 years ago. And how good God has been since then. Maybe we'll turn back to him and we could lead him, lead our nation back to him. Uh, there's not an easy segue to segue from what I just said to where I want to go. So we're just going to jump to it. If that's all right, today is the day that we usually set aside to honor our grandparents. It is uh, kind of a national holiday, if you will, where we take a moment and honor all the grandparents that we have. And uh, I only have one grandparent left on my side of the family, and my wife only has one left on her side of the family. And I look back at my grandparents and the influence that they have been in my life, the blessings they have been to me, and how they have influenced and invested in my life. And, and in today's society, grandparents, look, you have a big role to play. 
Oftentimes, grandparents are filling in and being that grace in the lives of, of young people and families. And we appreciate you so much. And uh, because you're so sweet, uh, we want to give you something this morning to recognize you for who you are. So if you are a grandparent, uh, or even if you are a grandparent-to-be, I know we have a few of those here uh, with us. If you're a grandparent or a grandparent-to-be and you don't mind, I'd like you to stand this morning. We have a special gift for you, one per family. Uh, because you give out so much sweetness, we want to give you some sweetness back uh, to help refuel your reserves. Ushers, let's not forget about the folks in the balcony. We have some up there. So as our ushers make their way down, uh, we have a little bit of sweet to give back to you for being so sweet. And remain standing, all right? Remain standing uh, because we're going to have you sing something for us. Just a moment. All of our grand... I'm just kidding. All of our grandparents, it's a little gift for you. Make sure everybody gets something just a little sweet. You know, grandmothers, grandfathers, you're always giving away your kisses, and so we decided to give you a few kisses back to make your day just a little bit sweeter, and our grandparents do that. They make our day a whole lot sweeter, and we just wanted to give you something to let you know that we thought about you, we think about you, and we appreciate all that you do and all that you mean uh, to your grandchildren. By the way, some of you, you're like adopted grandparents. I have some of those in this building today, and I appreciate you and the investment you've made. We may not be blood-related. Uh, but you've invested in my life, and I appreciate that very much. Just remain standing. Got a whole row of them right here. They're having to take one, pass them down, make sure everybody gets one. All right, all of our grandparents just about got one. Very good. Don't eat them during church, okay? I don't want to see little pieces of tinfoil on the floor of the church. Grandparents, be a good example. What a horrible thing. It'd be Miss Autumn coming through vacuuming tomorrow and found out we had grandparents uh, snitching, sneaking some candy during the service. All right. Thank all of you. Let's give our grandparents a round of applause. <clears throat> thank you so much. You can be seated. Thank you so much for who you are and for all that you do and what you mean to us and if you still have a grandparent or a grandparent figure in your life, can I just encourage you, take some time today to give them a phone call. Let them know you love them. Let them know you appreciate them. I mentioned this the other day, but what's a great statement uh, that we don't really appreciate our moments until they become memories. And boy, I have so many good memories with my grandparents and what they have meant to me. If you still have a grandparent that's living and with us, uh, you be sure to give them a call today. Let them know how much you appreciate them, how much you love them, because, boy, they've invested more in you than you realize. So how do you know that? Well, because they had your parents. All right? That's just simple biology, right? Thank you again, and, uh, and I pray you have a great day today. If your grandparents are here with you, take them out to eat today. Amen? Buy them a steak. Uh, take them to Sam's. Get them one of those hot dog combos if that's all you can afford, but do something for them today. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's turn to the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when you find it, let's go ahead and stand today. We're going to conclude our series on defending against the fall. How do we defend ourselves against this great falling away the Bible says is coming? And I believe we're already in the early stages of this turning of the tide where the spirit of our nation's turning away from God. And how do we keep uh, from getting caught up into that? We've looked at five or four or five different topics. We're going to finish this up today and be done. Uh, but I have a wonderful one I'm going to share with you today that's kind of exciting, and it differs from the other four. First Corinthians chapter number 15. Uh, look down, if you will, to verse number 54, almost to the end of the chapter. We'll go back to the beginning before we're done. First Corinthians chapter number 15. Look down to verse 54. The Bible says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption... 
And this mortal shall have put on immortality. What an exciting thought that is. One day we're going to get to do that. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your goodness and grace that has brought us here today. Thank you, Father, for the great attendance that we have in your house. And I pray that right now that we wouldn't just be here. But I pray right now that, Lord, we'd open up our hearts to receive, Lord, why you brought us here today. Lord, you know who all was going to be here, and you've provided something for them, and you will through your spirit and through the preaching of your word. Now, Lord, I pray you'd help us to receive it and respond to it. Lord, I pray we'd lead the way in our country as your people leading back to you. Lord, we might have a little bit more grace in these last days to be about your will. If there's one here that's lost today, not sure that they're saved, not sure that heaven's their home, I pray you'd show them their need, help them be saved before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The last few weeks, we've looked at some things that God has given us, some opportunities God's provided for us so that we don't have to get caught up in that fall. Aren't you thankful for that? That we don't have to get caught up in that spirit of apostasy, that great falling away that we see taking place in our world today. It's not something that we necessarily should fear, for our Father has prepared us for that. And the way we found that out was looking through the letters that our Father has written us. We've looked at four specifically about the first being anchored in our hope. I'm glad that no matter how bad things get, I can remain anchored in the hope that I have through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're saved here this morning, you have a hope, and that hope is your anchor. And boy, oh, you better hold tight to that. You're going to need that. But then we looked at the, the tool that the Bible says we have of being rooted in the Word. The Bible says that no matter what, nothing shall offend us. Nothing shall help us or to cause us to stray away because the Bible says we are rooted in his word. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Aren't you glad? Watch. Nothing, nothing unless we allow it can offend us or cause us to stumble out of the will and out of the work of God. I'm thankful to be rooted in the word, aren't you? And then we looked at being grounded in our faith. The Bible says we need to be grounded and settled on that foundation. Don't get off the foundation of that solid rock. That's where the miry clay is at. All right? You stay grounded and settled in the faith that we have in Christ. And then last week we looked at abiding in Christ. The Bible says in John 15 uh, that outside of Christ, without him, we can do what? Nothing. That means you stand zero chance of defending against the fall outside of Christ. But if you abide in Christ and he abides in you, then we are secure, we're safe, and we'll survive this falling away. Now, today we're going to shift gears just a little bit. And here's the way the Lord led us to open this up this morning. When you look at being anchored, grounded, settled, and abiding, those are more of defensive postures, aren't they? 
When you are anchored in something, you are staying in one spot, defending. When you are grounded, you're settled and you're abiding. Those are defensive postures, okay? Uh, If you've ever come around the corner and startled Brother AJ, he immediately goes into a defensive posture, okay? It's amazing. I mean, one day I'm going to walk in here with a black eye, I promise you. And it's going to be because I walked around the corner too quick and Brother AJ got in a defensive posture and then went on the offensive posture and I got offended, okay? I really did. I guess I should follow the scripture that nothing shall offend me, uh, even a fist to the nose, if I just stay grounded and rooted in God's word. Now, those were defensive. Defensive. I'm anchored. I'm rooted. I'm grounded. I'm settled. I'm abiding. But today, we're going to look at something more on the offensive that God wants us to do in order to defend against the fall. By the way, aren't you glad that the Christian life is not just a defensive life? I'm not just going to sit here and try to defend myself until Jesus comes back. You read Ephesians chapter 6, you see all of those pieces of armor that are there. We have the helmet, we have the breastplate, and we have our feet that are shod. Those are to defend us, correct? But I'm so thankful for that last piece of armor. It's that sword of the Spirit. Uh, You know what? Look, you can defend yourself with a sword, but that's an offensive weapon. That means my father just doesn't want me to sit here and defend myself in a stagnant position until the Lord comes back. He wants me to go on the offensive. Yesterday, I was in Louisiana, and my nephew has these really fancy uh, padded swords. They're really nice. My brother bought them for him, and he says, Uncle Maya, do you want a sword fight? I'm like, well, of course I do. Any chance you get to whack somebody and take out some, you know, I didn't mean to say that, but take out some angst against someone, a, a, a plastic rubber sword is a good way to do it. And so he starts fighting with me, and I start fighting with him. I don't think he expected me to go on the offensive. Before it was over, that sword was upside of his face, it was upside of his neck, and then I jabbed him in the belly with it. He says, Uncle Maya, these are lightsabers. I said, well, you just lost a leg. (laughs) I even started adding sound effects. You know you do it. You're acting like we have such an immature pastor. Yeah, whatever. You probably do it with your broom when you're sweeping, ladies. Your husband's not there and you're home fighting around. You know you do it. Men, you do it at your work. You're out there with your rake or your shovel. Nobody's looking around and you're out there sword fighting with that. He was shocked when all of a sudden I went on the offensive. I wasn't just standing there taking his licks. Look, when I play, I play for keeps. I'm going to cut a leg off or an arm off or cut his face off. Why? Because, hey, that's how you win, right? Winning with God is not just being on the defensive. That's important. We have defensive measures in order to stay rooted, rooted, no, grounded and rooted against this falling away. It's on the brain, Star Wars, I guess that's what it is. In order for us to make sure we are fulfilling the will of God till he returns, we've got to go on the offensive, all right? We just can't be defensive. We've got to go on the offensive. By the way, I'm thankful the Word of God gives us examples that the Christian life should be on the offensive. What does Matthew 28 say? It says to go. All right? That's going on the offense. That's not staying on defense. That's, not, look, that's the opposite of stay. Okay? Deep Greek here. Going, that's an offensive thing. The Bible says I'm to contend for the faith. That means I'm to fight for the faith. I'm just not supposed to defend against the faith and the wrong faith. I'm to contend for the faith. Hebrews 12, the Bible says I'm to run a race. I don't know how you run a race and stay still. 
You see, the Christian life is not just defensive, it is offensive. And what is the quote that is credited to George Washington? The best defense is a good offense. Now, folks, I want to tell you, one of the best things you can do to defend against the fall is be on the offensive. I believe one of the greatest reasons Christians get caught up in things they shouldn't get caught up in is because they were stagnant. Rather than being on the offense, they were on defense the entire time. And I believe that's what Paul is trying to help the church of Corinth was. Now, there was this uh, dispute about the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul begins in chapter 15, you go back to verse number 1, explaining from the top on how they can move forward and get past the dispute that they're having He starts off in in verse 1, verse 2, and 3, speaking of the plan of salvation. Verse 2, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he goes into the resurrection of Christ. Now, what he's trying to do is give them some clarity where they can move on. The next few verses speak all about the resurrection of Christ, then the resurrection that we are going to have. Thanks be to God for that. And we pick up where we picked up in verse 54 and 5 this morning. The Bible says that one day death's going to be swallowed up in victory. In verse 57, watch what he says. I want to show you how this ties together. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is important, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work. Now, here's what he's showing them. All right, you got saved, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then there's the resurrection. The Bible says that through the resurrection of Christ, we have victory. We'll look at that in a minute. And now that we have victory, he says at the beginning of verse 58, therefore, therefore, Hey, it's time because you got that behind you, therefore move on and move forward and the will, and verse 58 uses the word, the work of God in your life. The last thing we're going to look at this morning, the last message in this series about defending against the fall is simply this, abounding in the work, abounding in the work. Now, this is important. God's going to show us in verse 58 this morning that the best defense is a good offense. And staying put in our faith requires us to stay productive in our faith, all right? In order for us to stay put where God would have us to be doing what God has called us to do requires you to stay productive in the will and the work of God for your life. We're going to see that this morning on this subject of abounding in the work. And I want to give you three things to help you with that. If you would look at verse 58, the Bible says, therefore. Now, we know the old phrase, right? When you see a therefore, you need to see what it is therefore. Very good. Very good. All right. I only heard a few of you, but we've got to pass that down to the next generation because it's important. When you see a therefore, a therefore is looking forward after it looks backwards, okay? So every time you see a therefore in Scripture, he's telling you to look forward based on what he just told you that's behind. So in order to understand verse 58, we got to go back to verse number 57. Watch what the Bible says. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important this morning. In order to go on the offense for our faith, we need what verse 57 assures them of, 
And what verse 57 assures them of is that Christ has won us the victory. This is the first thing you've got to get this morning. Notice, number one, an assurance of victory. If you're going to go on the offensive and move forward in your faith in the will and work of God for your life, the first thing you need to know is that you're going to win. Amen? You're going to win. Now, let me ask you this. Regardless of how frightening something is, how hard something is, can you imagine how bold you would be if you knew you were going to win? You think about it. Imagine maybe even how cocky you might would be in your walk with God if you grasp this truth that the Bible says through the resurrection of Christ, when Christ overcame death, hell, and the grave, that victory has been given to me. What does it say? Verse 57, the Bible says, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, God has assured me that I'm going to win. All right, kind of like LSU playing that no-name team yesterday. You knew they were going to win. I was excited to watch that one. I wasn't excited last week, and I probably won't be excited next week. But I was excited to watch that one yesterday. Why? I knew that we were going to win unless we pulled off a classic LSU move and lost an easy one. Now, can I tell you this morning... If you want to move forward in the will and the work of God for your life, the first thing you got to get is the assurance of victory. That when Christ rose from the grave, he secured the victory, not just over the grave, but everything that he defeated along the way. And watch this. As a child of God, he's given it to you. So as we stand where God told us, I should have left my bricks up here, as we stand where God told us to stand, we can stay where God told us to stay because he's guaranteed us there's nothing out there that can beat us off of it. All of a sudden, your chest begins to swell up a little bit, realizing that you have an assurance of victory. I can move forward. Look, doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that he's not going to try to, by the way, doesn't mean you're not going to have to fight. By the way, that's why he gave you the armor. You're going to have to fight, but he has assured you that you're going to win. In our house, we are competitive people to an extent. It's hard for me to really beat down my daughter in board games. All right, I haven't got to that place in my, in my flesh yet where I can do that. My wife can just, she can just crush her, uh, but I haven't got to that place yet. But we'll play board games, play Scrabble, something along that line. And uh, when I know that I am on my way to winning, I start doing what we call in the competitive world talking smack. You can talk smack over Scrabble. Who said you couldn't? We're sitting in there and we're talking smack about this. Why? Because we know we're going to win. I look at my number. Now, when we play those hard games, Brother Michael and Miss Evelyn, they play those smart games, really hard, smart games. And Miley and Leslie, they leave me in the dust on those things. I come home. They want to play a board game with me. I said, look, I don't want to think anymore. And those games require thinking. All right? I just, can we play tic-tac-toe? Not a whole lot of thinking there. Checkers, I can do that one. Not a whole lot of thinking there. But as we play these games, when you know you're going to win, you start getting more bold, don't you? Can I give you my opinion, all right? I'm interjecting opinion here. I believe verse 55 is the Apostle Paul talking smack. I do. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Now, here's, watch this. Here's Paul to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And watch, he is talking smack to death in the grave. He's like, where's your victory? 
<laughs> he beat you. Hey, you can't beat me. You don't scare me anymore. You can't make me move. That's why Paul says, I press toward the mark. I'm moving forward because behind me, victory was already secured. And so you can't scare me away from what God's called me to do because you're a loser. You need to learn to do that to the devil. Why LSU adopted that as their symbol, I will never know. <laughs> kind of obvious. You need to learn to do that to the devil. You look forward in the will of God for your life, and you, man, that's a dark and lonely road. Not a whole lot of people going down that road less traveled. Hey, don't be afraid. You've already won. You've already, well, I'm just not sure. Have you ever said that statement to yourself? I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Have you ever wondered that? I have. I'll bet you if we took a poll, many of us thought that over the last three years. <laughs> not sure if we're going to make it. Not sure if we can get to there. Could I help you out just a little bit this morning? Christ has already decided that you will. He's already secured that. The Bible says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this morning, look, you want to be bold in your faith? Look, you ought to have an offensive faith, not an offensive faith, all right? Some of us already have that one. I'm talking about an offensive faith. You want to have a faith that's moving forward, listen, that is not sitting stagnant and stuck. You ought to be moving forward in the will of God for your life because God has already cleared the way for you. Victory has already been given to you. You just have to go out there and claim it. That's why Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, listen to what he says. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Paul says, I, I know I'm going through a tough time. I know the will of God for my life has been tough and I'm, I'm suffering some things. I've suffered loss for some things. But listen to what he says. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to begin to question or doubt what I'm doing and where I'm going. Why? He goes on to tell us, for I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Can I tell you why Paul just kept on going? Because he knew he was going to win. He knew he was going to win. And the devil comes to you and tells you, if you don't come off of the place that you're standing, oh, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be an outcast, people are going to talk about you, and oh, you're just going to feel like an outsider. By the way, you should because you are. We're strangers in this world. You know, I think we've got this convenient Christianity to think that one day the world's going to like us. Newsflash, it's never going to happen. Neither should you love the world either. The Bible says, love not the world. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? Love not the world. It means what it says. And he said what he meant. And all of a sudden, we begin thinking, if I raise my children and have those stands in their life, they're going to be picked on. If I act this way, if I don't do those things, if I do those things, oh, it's going to be tough. Look. All that is is a little bitty chihuahua of a devil nipping at your heels. He can't eat you. All right? A lot of times the devil is just this little old chihuahua. Boy, I've been knocking on doors and old chihuahua come out. And thanks be to God, their body is not as big as their personality. I wouldn't be here today. Went to Steve's house the other day. He's got this big black dog that can eat me. Man, I came out and I'm just... (gasps) You know, you just never know when a member is going to try to take you out. So I invite you over to dinner. You don't know. That's, you know, if they're the hit man. I just never know who the hit man's going to be. Big old dog runs out. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't want to have any part of me. The old devil wants you to think he's some big, bad, 
burly lion. The Bible says he goes forth as a lion. He's just pretending. He's just pretending. Look, you've already been given the victory. What does it say? The Bible says we've been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm afraid today if we could get a real picture of the church, we would see the church in the fetal position, curled up in a corner, begging the world not to pick on us. Just please don't call us a bad name. Please don't say mean things about, can I tell you how shallow I am? Can I just put this out there? You probably already know, but let me go ahead and tell you just in case. That way I can let all of you down at the same time. Man, somebody puts one of those orange frowny faced emojis during the live stream. I will go back sometimes and move my finger and scrub the video to see, what did I say? You know, usually it's about LSU or something. That's when they put the uh, angry faces in there. Man, it just hurts your feelings that somebody would frowny face one of your messages. Oh, that doesn't sound like someone who's been given the victory, does it? Can I ask you, does your life look like someone who's been given the victory? Are we, are we a Christian who's always on the defensive scared, or are we going on the offensive? Why? Because we know that we're going to win. Now watch what verse 58 says. Verse 57, you've been given the victory. Verse 58, and then it says, therefore. All right? Because you have the victory in 57, therefore, you got to do what verse 58 says. What does it say? The Bible says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Be ye steadfast. Do you know why God can tell you what to be? Number one, he owns you. No, you're not, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. He owns you. And you better be glad he owns you. But boy, he's a good master. I'm thankful for that. But watch this. He says, be ye. That means that's an expectation from God. God expects you to be. He said, well, man, that's kind of asking a lot. You ask me to be ye steadfast. Do you know why he can tell you to be steadfast? Because of what was on the backside of the therefore. Because you've been given the victory, therefore, be ye steadfast. There's no excuse not to be steadfast in your faith because you've been given the victory. Now, if verse 57 wasn't there, well, then verse 58 would be kind of a tall order, wouldn't it? Do you know what steadfast means? It means set down and settled. Set down and settled. Because you've been given the victory, here's what he says. Hey, settle down. Quit running around like Chicken Little. The sky's falling. Hey, settle down. Be steadfast. In what? In your faith. Why? Because you've been given the victory. See how that works? Therefore, I've got the victory. Nothing can beat me. Therefore, settle down. Now, look, I'm not saying don't prepare. You ought to get you several cases of ramen noodles. Put them in that back closet in your bedroom. Get you some cases of Dasani water. Get you some cash out in case the economy falls apart. But we don't have to live like preppers all the time. Why? Because we're already prepped. Some of you will get that on the way home. You say, what do you mean? You were given the victory. You're prepped. You're good. Now, folks, why are we walking around so unsettled, so unsteadfast in our faith? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? The stock market crash, recession, all these things going on. I feel it too. But you know, the Bible says I can settle down in my faith. Why? Because I've been given the victory. I know that I'm going to win. Last year, the girls were playing the championship volleyball game. And our girls' volleyball, if you haven't seen them play, you ought to see them play. They are good. And last year, the championship game, they went to five sets, like to kill the volleyball dads that were there. And me and Brother Beach, man, we're just pacing back and forth, you know, just wondering if they're going to win. Oh, good. And, and, and just worried, man, blood pressure spiking. I'm like, come on, girls, couldn't you got it done in three? 
I mean, they strung us out for two more sets. Man, my heart, I probably lost years off of my life. Do you know why I was so unsettled? Here it comes. I didn't know if we were going to win. I didn't know. Now, it was because I didn't have faith in you girls, okay? It's, just, it's a game. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Is that why we're so unsettled in our faith? We're in the will of God. We're out of the will of God. We're over here doing this. We're worried about this. Is that why we're so unsettled? We don't realize we're going to win? If I knew that our girls were going to win, if we could rewind it and I could relive that match, I'd sit back, drink a Coke Zero, eat a Raider burger, chillax, and y'all calm down. What are y'all so worried about? Have faith in our girls, okay? I have faith in our girls. Why? Because I knew we were going to win. That's the way you ought to be out in the world. The world should all be acting crazy and paranoid and all of that, but you ought to be steadfast in your faith. Why? Because you've been given the victory. 1 Peter 5, 8, we know this well, but do we know the whole context? Listen, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I'm thankful for the good zoo we have. Man, Hattiesburg has a great zoo. If you haven't been, you ought to go. It's really, really good, really good for a town of our size. We get a text message over our phones. They start going off. One of the lions got loose out of the Hattiesburg Zoo. Half of you would be running for your house to hide. Half of you would be running to get a shotgun because you want to get that trophy. It's not often you get to shoot a lion in Hattiesburg. You go out there and shoot that thing. We'd be scared to death. Why? There's a lion out there. But wait a minute. That's not the last verse. The Bible said there's this lion out there. Be sober, be vigilant. But then it says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. The Bible say that, says the way that we resist and the way that we, we are able to make it through is we remain steadfast, unwavering, settled in our faith. You're not worried about it. Why? Because God's already beat him. We, we, we think about this lion, this big old man. We think lion king, don't we? No, he's this crippled, old, toothless, mangy, whipped lion. That's all he is. Why? Because my Lord and Savior beat him on the cross at Calvary and at the empty tomb. He has been defeated, and yet we're scared of him. Why? We're not steadfast in our faith. Number one, watch. If we're going to have an offensive and go on the offensive, which is the best defense, we have an assurance of victory. The Bible says steadfast and then unwavering or unmovable. Steadfast, unmovable. You know what that means? Get in your place, stay in your place. Hey, get to where God wants you to get, stay put, and then don't flinch. Don't flinch. Anybody ever come up to you and do that before, like try to punch you? I saw this guy the other day on this video. It was amazing. I'm going to do it. He had this stuffed dog. It was stuffed. And he had a leash on it, and he's acting like he's walking this stuffed dog down the road. It's a big old stuffed animal. And as he walked past this lady, the leash was stiff. It was really a rod. He goes, and the lady dropped her food on the ground, was so mad all about it, over a stuffed dog. What happened? She flinched. She flinched. Don't flinch. Get where God's called you to be and stay there. Why? Number one, we have an assurance of victory. Here's the best part. I'm going to hurry. Let's keep reading. The Bible says, verse 57, we have the victory through Christ. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. How do we do that? The Bible says, always abounding 
in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So watch. He says, okay, look behind you, behind you. There's victory, all right? You've been given the victory, all right? Now look in front of you. The word abound means to exceed a fixed position, all right? So you look behind you and you see victory. Now I want you to look forward. And the Bible says you look forward with the second thing you're going to need this morning. That's an abounding vision. You need to have an abounding vision. The word abound, like I said, means to excel abundantly. I'm going to encourage you to do something today. At some point in your day-to-day, you need to stop where you're at in your spiritual life. You need to turn around and look at the victory that Christ has given you and stare at it so long and get so excited about it that when you turn around, you take off in that direction. That because of what he's done in the past, therefore, I'm going to abound in what I am looking forward to in my spiritual vision. Here's the sad thing. You can tell God's people don't realize the victory they've been given. You can tell. You say, well, how can you tell? Well, I have this little telescope that I look through, and I can see through your heart, and I can tell. No, I have no idea. But I can look at your life and tell whether or not you've grown stagnant or whether or not you have an abounding vision looking forward, looking forward. If you realize what he's done for you, it makes you more excited about what he wants to do for you. The Bible says, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I was thinking about Coke this morning. And I know here in the South, Coke is a relative term, right? Say, you want a Coke? What kind? Sprite. A lot of people can't understand that Southern speak, but that's how we do things down here. You want a Coke? Yeah, I want a root beer. Yeah, you want a Coke? Yeah, I want a Diet Coke. It's just kind of how we do things. And you pour, the other day I poured my wife some Diet Coke at the house, and I pour too much in there. And all of a sudden, it started foaming over the top all over the counter in the kitchen. It was just, it was exceeding its boundaries. It was abounding. The Bible says your vision of looking forward to the will and the work of God in your life ought to be an abounding vision, not a stagnant vision. You know where the word stagnant comes from or what you think about the word stagnant? I used to uh, canoe the Okotoma Creek River, whatever whatever you want to call it, and every once in a while it would overflow its bounds, and there would be these holes that would hold water. And uh, the water would have little minnows swimming around in it, mosquitoes, of course, swimming around in it, all these little creatures swimming around in it. But after a while, that water would sit there so long that all the little creatures inside of it would die. The water grew stagnant. No oxygen left in it. The water quit flowing through it. And everything that just sat there died. Now stick with me. I know a lot of Christians this morning that grew stagnant in their faith. They quit being in the flow of moving forward. Where life was at, they got stagnant and they died spiritually. What happened? They lost their abounding vision. They forgot about the victory he gave them in the past. And they quit pursuing the victory he wanted to give them in the future. Can I tell you something? John 10.10 gives us a wonderful truth about what the Christian life should resemble. He says, I've come that you might have what? Life. All right, watch. I'm thankful that when I got saved, I got life. All right, I got life. Real, real life. That's even more real than the one you're seeing right now. Spiritual, eternal life was granted to me the day that I trusted Christ. I'm thankful Christ gave me life. But wait a minute, it doesn't stop there. He says, I've come that you might have life. Let's get saved. Amen. Thank God for that. He says, and after you get saved, I've got even a bonus for you. 
It's kind of like those things on television. But wait, there's more. Have you ever noticed they say that, you know what, you get a second one, just pay another fee? I'm like, yeah, of course you can get another one if you pay another fee. Don't get sucked into that. I can tell some of you got sucked into that. Oh, I'm so sorry for that. Can I tell you, the bonuses Christ give, they're real. And it's already been paid for too. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more. Here it comes, abundantly. I don't want you to just live and be stagnant with the life. I want you to move forward with an abundant life that exceeds where you are now. Look, your life ought to overflow tomorrow or where it was today. You shouldn't grow stagnant. There's some of you, I hate to say this tonight, this morning, but some of you this morning, maybe you got saved and you got life and you stopped right there. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. Why? There's an abundant life for you that overflows like that Coke that exceeds the boundaries of where you are today. I never, I'll be honest with you, I never, ever, ever want to grow stagnant. I don't. I always want to be excited about what God has for me next and his will for my life. And when he calls me home, whether through death or when the trump of God sounds, I hope my life is still exceeding the boundaries of where I used to be. But you've got to have an abounding vision. Notice what he said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now listen close. I want to hurry through this, but you got to get this today, okay? It's hard for the devil to catch up with you while you keep moving. Give you a brilliant example, okay? This is super deep. You're going to have to think hard to get this one. Most carjackings take place while the car is stopped. I have a carnal nature. I really do. I think about how fun it would be to watch someone try to carjack someone doing 65. There's got to be a video out there. There's videos of everything, isn't there? Somebody going down the road at 65 and this guy with the little robber mask on you because all good robbers wear those masks. You know, they got that mask on and he's got his gun and he runs up to the intersection. Here go. He bounces off. Now listen, listen to me. It's hard to catch a moving car. He might get the door handle or the door handle might get him. I don't know, but it's not going to end well. Why? Because he's abounding forward. Do you know all the times the devil's caught up with me? It was when I stopped. I was satisfied with life and then neglected the abundant life. I quit abounding and looking forward. What's next? What's next? God, you've been so good to me. You saved my soul. You gave me victory. Hey, God, what's next in my life? What's next? God, what do we want me to do today? God, who do you want me to talk to today? God, how can I grow today in my walk with you? Here's what happens, man. We get saved, we get excited, and then the cold water committee comes along and slows us down in our walk with God. And we get stagnant, and that's when life dies. After a while, you start sitting there, and next thing you know, you don't even want to look forward. After a while, we get bitter, we get negative. Why? We got stagnant. We quit abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep Moving, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, our scripture that we've been going through on Wednesday nights, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Here's Paul. Watch. If there was ever a grown-up Christian, it was Paul. Hey, Paul, slack off a little bit. Just coast on into heaven, all right? 
You're going to do better than anybody else behind you will ever do in the cause of Christ. Just slow down, Paul. No. Paul says, I follow after. I'm abounding that I may apprehend for that which I am all, I'm apprehended for of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. What is he doing? He's abounding. I never see the devil catching up with Paul. I never see Paul fall off into sin, getting bitter because his road was tough, getting angry with anybody else. I see the apostle Paul moving forward, abounding in his faith, abounding in his work until God called him home. Can I tell you something? This is going to be harsh, but hear me out, okay? If the children of Israel had kept moving after they crossed through the Red Sea, they wouldn't have had time to murmur. All they had to do was look back. Look at that Red Sea. Look at those dead guys floating around in the water. That's probably what I would be saying. Let's go check their pockets, you know. They don't need it. Look at what God did. Let's keep moving on and find what's next. But instead, they stopped on the other side of the Red Sea. And that's where they found the time to murmur. Do you know if you'll keep moving and abounding in the work of the Lord for your life, you won't have time to complain? If you'll keep moving forward in the will of God and the work of God for your life, you won't notice other people's faults. Man, I see myself man, going along. Next thing you know, you're like, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to slack off a little bit. Man. Brother Barry's tie doesn't match. He does, Brother Barry. It's okay. Looking around. Nehemiah's sitting up here half asleep. No, he's not. <laughs> he's awake. His mom and dad got to get him on the way home. When I stop moving forward, that's when I find the time to get into trouble that I don't need to be involved in. That's that idleness great-grandma used to talk about, the devil's workshop. If you have an abounding vision, you'll not have time to critique you have an abounding vision, you will not have time to quit. David got in trouble with Bathsheba. Why? He was supposed to be on his way to the battle, and he stopped, and that's where he found Bathsheba. You see, he quit looking forward and started looking around. That's when we get in trouble. Listen to me. That's when you get bitter. That's when you see something you don't need to see. That's when you get involved in something you don't need to get involved in. Because you quit looking forward and you started looking around. You know what? Yeah. And then next thing you know, we have quit growing, we've grown stagnant, and we die spiritually. Christmas time is coming. Husbands, write that down, okay? Same time every year, December 25th. Just throwing that out there, all right? Helpful hint from your pastor. We're going to go to the mall, and there's going to be people with all these booths set up with the mall. The only ones I'm interested in are ones that give you free food. Beef jerky, something like that. Walking through the mall and there's this guy. I'd love to help to show you how this Mediterranean sea salt will make your hands softer. Number one, I don't want a man rubbing Mediterranean sea salt on my hands. I'm just being straight up with you. Pun intended. Some guy sitting there rubbing sea salt on my hand. No, no, no. Number one, where's that sea salt been? What sea did it come from? Could it come from the Gulf of Mexico? I don't want no part of that. So we're walking through the mall. Hey, sir, I'd like to... I just keep walking. I just keep walking. I don't think you I'm good. My hands are soft enough. My wife likes them the way they are. Watch this. He doesn't get me because I don't stop. All right? He doesn't get me because I don't stop. 
All right? I, I know where I'm going to the food court, man. Leave me alone. I don't care about soft hands. I want chicken teriyaki. That's what I'm talking about. I've got my eyes and my mind set on where I'm going. Uh, look, talk to the hand. Talk to the callous, grizzled hand that's never seen the Mediterranean sea salt. I know where I'm going, and you're not going to stop me from getting there. You see, folks, that's what happens. The devil comes. Hey, 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 take it easy. Slack off. Oh, man, you're doing so good. I mean, we, we compare ourselves to ourselves, and we're like, in that low life over there, I'm doing better than he is. I'm going to slack off, and I'm going to slow down. And what happens? Well, we quit abounding in our work. Real quickly, in Zimbabwe, a lot of people go there to the Zambezi River. It's at the base of Victoria Falls that a lot of people will go, and they will kayak and they will canoe. Boy, what a beautiful sight. Can you imagine seeing the falls that are there and people kayaking and canoeing there? And the story is told of a tourist, an American tourist who went there and heard the, the uh, guy give instruction on what you're supposed to do if you fall out of your boat. It's not if you fall out, but when you fall out, okay? I'm sure they look at American tourists and they're thinking, yes, no coordination. You can't paddle a boat this way. They're going to fall out. And he says, all right, when you fall out, here's what they tell you, true story. When you fall out, Stay in the rough water. Stay in the rough water. It says, because when you swim over to the stagnant water, that's where the crocodiles are. Now, it's at that point that I decide, nope, I flew all the way over here. I don't feel like rafting anymore. I'm going to take a boat down the Zambezi. I'm not going to raft in that. He said, stay in the rough water. The alligators will not go in the rough water. They stay over in the stagnant water. And when you swim over to that stagnant water, that's where they're waiting to eat you. Can I tell you what happens? The Christian life, the Christian walk, the Christian work, moving forward, that's rough water sometimes. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes it makes you want to quit. And you look at the calm waters that are stagnant over there. And if I just swim over there, whew, I'm going to get it out of here. You're dead. You're dead. As soon as you get out of the rough water to go over there to the stagnant water, that's where the crocodiles of discontent, that's where the crocodiles of all the immorality of the world are waiting for you, and they're going to gobble you up. You want illustrations? I'll give you plenty. I see it all the time. Number one, number one, notice what he says. You have assurance. We have assurance of victory. Verse 58, he shows us an abounding vision. And then finally, I'll give you the last one. I'm going to let you go. He says... They were supposed to have an abounding vision in what? Steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What are we looking forward to? Well, we're looking forward to the work of the Lord. Now, this is important. He could have just said the work, but he didn't. He specified abounding in the work of the Lord. I believe oftentimes the reason we quit abounding in vision is because we lose focus of the true work for which we were left here to do. All right? The true work that we were left here to do. The only way to abound in the work, number three, and we're done, is to have an absolute vigilance. Absolute vigilance. How do you abound in the work? You've got to have absolute vigilance. The word work means that which we are occupied with. That which we are occupied with. Now, all of us are occupied with a lot, aren't we? We have a lot on our plate. We have a lot going on. And we're occupied with a lot but you understand so much of what we do, I'm afraid, does not involve the work, the work. 
You know, we think about our job. Our job is how we make a living, but the work is supposed to be our life. Our job is how we make a living. That's how we put food on the table. That's our job. That's how we make a living. But the work, notice what he says, the work, he said, of the Lord. That's our work. That's us. You know, I think we've subcontracted this thing to the government. We're hoping the government fixes this country. Man, I can't wait till they fix it. They can't. I mean, seriously? Look what they did to Social Security. Look what they've done to our military. Look what they've done to our borders. I mean, this thing's a train wreck, and we're expecting them to fix it? No, that is our work. The work is our work. That's why we're here. And the problem is we haven't been absolutely vigilant in keeping focused on what is supposed to be occupying us. Now, look, we got to work. we got things to do. Kids, we got ball games. we got all these things our kids got to do. But we can't neglect the work. we got to be vigilant. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, the work. Matter of fact, let me give you some examples. You don't look like you believe me. Jesus says, I must work the work. I must work the work. What did Paul tell Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 5? He says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. That's why we're here, the work. I'm thankful I'm not just part of a work. I'm part of the work. But man, I'll be working away, working away. Next thing you know, I get distracted. I get distracted easily. That's why sometimes I'll be giving you an illustration, can't remember what it was about. Some of you just distract me the way you look, okay? I'm just putting it that way. And we get preoccupied. What was work? That which we are occupied with. The work is what we're supposed to be occupied with. The work. But you know, there are times my wife will call out to me and ask me a question. Men, bear witness with me, okay? And I will not hear her. Because she talks too quiet. No, that's not it. The reason I don't hear her, the reason I miss out or forget something, is because I was preoccupied. Preoccupied. College football's back. I mean, that's a good enough reason right there not to hear everything your wife says. Amen, men? Oh, chickens. Cowards. Church full of coward men. Shame on you. Up here by myself, burying my soul. Nobody stood with me. I understand how David felt now. I encouraged myself in the Lord, though. That's what the Bible says. Do you know why we are not absolutely vigilant to the work which we are should be occupied with? We're preoccupied. Now watch. Here's how this works. I'm done. We're moving forward, moving forward with the work, with the work, and all of a sudden we get distracted, and then we get preoccupied. And whatever this is might be really cool. It may be bright and shiny and, and really fun to play with. But the work stopped, and so did we. And now we're in the stagnant water with the crocodiles. All because we didn't have an absolute vigilance. You know, Epaphroditus, the Bible says in Philippians 2, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Because of the work. The work. This guy had worked himself to sickness, almost to death, to supply other people's lack of service for the work. He says, you know what? I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stay so busy. Why? I can't get preoccupied because I've got to work. I've got to be occupied with. And the trump of God sounds, I want to be found doing the work of him that sent me while it is day because the night's coming when no man can work. In absolute vigilance. You better be vigilant about the work. Hebrews 12, the Bible says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Can I tell you what I've seen in my short ministry? People slack off, they slow down, they stray away, 
and eventually they stop. They slack off, slow down, stray away, and then they stop. And that's where the crocodiles are. Can I tell you the best thing you could do to defend against the fall is go on the offense. It's hard to catch a moving train. It's hard to catch a moving Christian. But boy, you start slowing down. Instead of looking forward, you start looking around. The next thing you know, that lion closes in. And the work, as Nehemiah says, ceases. Nehemiah says, why should I come down to you? He says, because the work will cease. He says, I cannot come down. Know what he said? I can't slow down. I can't stop. I can't let up because I can't let that lion catch me. Folks, look, it's time for Central Baptist Church to go on the offensive. All right? I don't think we got long before the Lord comes back. I don't want to be found here just defending myself. I want to go on the offensive. How do we do that? Number one, remember, you have an assurance. You have an assurance of victory. He can't beat you. But you've got to make sure you have an abounding vision. Are you looking forward to saying, okay, God, what's next? What do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? And then have an absolute vigilance. I'm going to keep my eyes on the work for which God called me to. I'm going to stay busy with that. Why? Oh, I can't afford to get distracted or preoccupied. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.